is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is the Full Story Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. The news for Anthony Albanese is not so promising on the home front. As Anthony Albanese reaches the midpoint of his first term in government, he's got a problem. Voters turn away. Today's news poll showing Anthony Albanese's Labor in a mid-term fund. The main issue, cost of living. A dive in the government's popularity has left Labor neck and neck with the coalition after... This dip has some in Canberra and the media warning about the beginning of the end for the Albanese government. Today, I'm speaking to Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and Head of Newsroom Mike Tisher about why the Albanese government is losing support and whether it's actually in trouble. It's Friday, the 1st of December. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Good morning, Lenore. Morning, Laura. Good morning, Mike. Hey, Laura. I am very excited to be hosting my very first Friday show. Seriously, the first one? Yes, four and a half years and I'm on the Friday (laughs) show. (laughs) I made it. So, Lenore, it hasn't been a great week for Albanese. There's been a lot of talk about their slump in support. What is going on here? Something. Something's definitely going on, but I think we have to be a bit careful about analysing it. Um, News poll conducted earlier in November found that on a two-party preferred basis, Coalition and Labor were level pegging. Two-party preferred measures we've been careful with since polls got 2019 so wrong because there's a lot of voters who right up to the very end just don't know what they're going to do. And if you allocate them, you can really warp that result and then it becomes a race call, et cetera, et cetera. So the Guardian Essential poll does a thing called two-party preferred plus. It's not just I'm voting for someone else and where do my preference go. We call out that I really have no clue how I'm going to vote. Vote, mm. And on that basis, we have Labor on 48, the Coalition on 47, and 6% of those completely undecided. Now, the election was around 52-48, so Labor has definitely lost ground. Mm. Anthony Albanese's personal ratings were in negative for the first time. So really... The numbers are showing that voters are cooling on the government and also unsurprisingly that this is about cost of living and I think my personal view looking at it is this isn't a disaster for the government yet but it's certainly numbers that any government would actually take notice of, would make them sort of sit up and think about what they were going to do for the second half of their term. Another reason to be cautious I think about those sort of two-party preferred figures and even the primary vote numbers is that when they're recording such relatively low primary vote numbers for the major parties is the 
big vote for the independents yeah. and the Greens at yeah. the last election, which makes predictions go? much more difficult. But if you um, put it all together, all of the polls and the personal approval ratings and other questions about how the government's going, without pinning everything just on the polling figures, there's, there's a trend. Yeah. Mm. Right, so there is a slump, but we should view some of these figures with caution. Yeah. If you did look at some of the reporting this week, though, you would assume that it's basically all over for the, the Albanese government. I read somewhere that it was a downward spiral <laughs> yeah. or slide. Yeah. Look, I think, you know, for the coalition, there's a lot of mileage to be had in creating a narrative that it's all over, that they're hopeless, that they're terrible, that they've lost their way, that they've got no idea, that they haven't done anything, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, mm. and using every bad poll as another sort of way to kind of fuel that impression because those sorts of impressions can become self-fulfilling prophecies. So, you know, the government needs to be alive to that. And it's not, as we were just saying, it's not like there isn't bad news. It's just how you nuance and contextualise the bad news, I think. Mike, what do you think of this coverage? Is it a bit over-egged? Uh, depends which bit you mean particularly, but I was reading Peter Credlin in The Australian this week uh, who said there's one forecast that's becoming easier to make, namely that Anthony Albanese will lead a one-term government. Mm-hmm. So she, for one, is very confident and gave a lot of reasons, not all completely coherent, why she thought that was the case. I mean, it's just take your pick, you know. The commentary is is where it always is. There are commentators who are more or less openly barracking for the coalition and others who are more nuanced and have a different take. But even fair-minded commentators have strong reservations about where things are going for the government, I think it's fair to say. It's important to put this in historical context, though. We have seen governments suffer a slump around this time before, which is about halfway through the parliamentary term. Is this drop fairly normal? Look, it is true that mid-term governments often face slumps. You know, often they come into government, they've got their sort of list of the first 10 things they want to do, they set up a bunch of reviews into other things and then they kind of get halfway through and there's this small window, like another sort of six months to a year where they might be able to do something before they're basically in election mode again, probably six months. Mm. So, you know, for this government that means the mid-year economic forecast, the budget update that's going to happen the week after next and next year's budget. They're the sort of two places that they can do things that might address the concerns that Australians clearly have with what they're doing and then they're going to be in election mode to sell those policies. And, yeah, they need to seize that opportunity. I guess there are broadly two things that happen when governments come in. They have their plan and they're assessed on how well people assess they've achieved what they set out to achieve and then there are just things that happen out of the blue that they can't predict. And I think it's fair to say... On both counts, there are reservations um, about how they've gone. There's a sort of perception that there's a lack of uh, sort of overarching, mm, I don't want to use the word narrative, but... You just (laughs) did. You used it. (laughs) There's an overarching, you know, thrust to what the government's trying to achieve. People want it to be about cost of living. They're not quite seeing that. And the second is how quickly and how well they've responded to things that have come up maybe not completely out of the blue, but, you know, just events along the way, such as the High Court decision on indefinite detention, Mm. international events, the Middle East, China, the various international events that the Prime Minister's been attending to recently, for which he's been absurdly criticised for, you know, attending APEC conferences. Or meeting meeting the the US US president. President. How dare he meet Meeting the Chinese president. You know, things that are generally seen as routine and extremely important for an Australian Prime Minister. And I think it was interesting in the essential poll that, 
he was marked up much higher for conduct on international events than on cost of living and other things where the perception is they haven't been so successful. So that is partly, I think, just due to the sort of natural cycle of recent events, Mm. but also obviously something they need to pay very close attention to now. Just on cost of living, I mean, it's clear that that is the main driver for voters being unhappy with the government, their handling of the cost of living crisis. The Guardian Essential poll shows us that. How hard is it for people right now? How much are people struggling I don't think you can overstate it, really. You know, and the government framed economic policy at the last election around cost of living, and now they're being judged by that same measure. And that is not unreasonable. That is absolutely reasonable. And it's true that a whole lot of policy decisions over decades are coming home to roost right now on housing and rentals and lots of different things, but they add up to people doing it really tough. And not just the you know, poorest parts of society, but middle-class families, even you know people who you'd think would be fairly comfortable, mm. are finding their, their material circumstances, their daily and weekly budgeting challenging, really challenging. Um, They're not able to do things that they could do before. They're not sure where, how they're going to pay bills or how they're going to pay their mortgage. Those things will always be foremost in people's minds and so they should be. Mm. So it's not a made-up perception problem. It's a real problem that the government's got. And, you know, they can say they're doing things or that they have done things and yes, they have on, you know, price of medicine and price of childcare. And, you know, they, they list off the whole list of things. Yes, they have. But people still feel it. And mm. so they still have to do more. And I think they know it. That's the message they're getting from their own backbenchers who Jim Chalmers was meeting on Thursday. You know, it is the only game in town. Mm. And they have to be forward looking as well. It's no good saying, we've done this. This is our record. We stand on our record. It's like, We've put these things in place. Now we're going to do what we're going to do. This what is what the coalition's you? going yeah. to do. Take your Could pick. Make the comparison. The other issue where this is all quite problematic, I think, is the environment, which is both a cost of living issue and, you know, obviously a much bigger climate issue generally, mm. but which the coalition is also trying to turn into a culture war, but in a new way over things like the offshore wind and transmission lines, which are all part of Labor's huge bid on this, which is, you know, a huge part of their program, it's not going to bring down power bills. You know, none of this is going to become apparent before the next election, how it affects people, except in the way that they can see the building of the infrastructure, which is a plus point for Labor if they can say, yeah, we've got this, here's our project, we're doing it. But equally, if the coalition can turn it into this thing that people are going to hate and, frankly, spread misinformation about what it means in some cases, that is a point where... Yeah, the kind of cost of living and the culture war possibilities clash and that could be that could be unpleasant in well, the election The other campaign. side of that is that they seem to be absolutely limbering up to go into an election arguing in favour of small modular nuclear reactors yeah. in many electorates. Probably not a winner. Mm, I'm not sure about that. So they're slowly gearing up on climate and some would say they're being quite cautious on cost of living, partly because they don't want to just throw money at the problem and add to inflation. But there are some big ideas. They're yet to try to ease cost of living. 
What are some of those ideas? Well, the biggest one that comes up again and again and again and again is to do something to either get rid of or wind back some of the stage three tax cuts that were legislated in 2019. They're due to effect next year. You know, as we've gone over many times, they overwhelmingly benefit the most wealthy people who least need tax cuts. The essential poll showed that there would be enormous support for doing something about it, even among coalition voters doing something to change those stage three tax cuts was very, very overwhelmingly popular. But on Thursday, Jim Chalmers stuck to the line. Having raised it once before, he said their policy hadn't changed. He batted back the idea that they would be inflationary because he said the Reserve Bank had already taken into account the fact that they were coming and very rich people are going to have a bunch more money, you know, next year to spend in a discretionary way. Yes, it would be politically brave, but I think the government's in a situation where they kind of need to think up some brave options, but uh, he was still ruling that one out. Mm, that, the question of whether it would be inflationary or not, I think, is pretty. That's a pretty specious answer. Mm. Um, uh, Rachel Clune, also in the Nine Papers, uh, was pointing to a com- recent ComBank report, which sort of broke down how people are spending money by age. Basically, the younger you are. The more you're cutting back your expenditure, the older people, people are much more likely to have own their own home and perhaps even have savings which are benefiting from higher interest rates. Their spending is not out of control, but, you know, they're spending free, much more freely, obviously, because they have... Because they can. They, ha- they can. They have the, the disposable income and it's those kind of non-discretionary things that they're spending on. And so if a whole lot more money is released to already wealthy people to spend through tax cuts, the chances are they're going to spend it again Mm. and that is going to add to inflation. Albanese has been criticised as focusing on too many other things other than cost of living, you know, travelling around the world and also throwing a lot of political capital behind the referendum. Is any of that type of criticism valid? Look, I think governments have to be able to do a couple of things at once and the voice referendum was a promise and he kept his promise and I think that's good for governments to do. It obviously failed comprehensively. It was, I don't know, um, kind of um, galling, I guess, to look at the polling from the ANU this week, which found that 80% of Australians do back a truth-telling process. 87% thought Indigenous Australians should have a voice over things that matter to them. I mean, the polling went to, in a way, disabuse the idea that Australians really didn't care, didn't want Indigenous people to have a say. It did go to perhaps it could have been handled differently by the government, although that is with the benefit of hindsight. I think it's clear that it did take time out of the government's political year. It did take political capital. I would come down on the side of, well, that's what it takes to to try to keep your promises. It didn't come off this time, but I think it was the right thing for the government to try to keep that promise. Mm. And just in purely political terms, to have invested so much in it and then to lose, you know, it's the sort of sucks momentum out of you. Mm, absolutely, it does, yeah. political project for a time at least. It's not that it's not, you can't recover from that, but... Um, yeah, but the no, alternative no, is no, to no, just n- not try. Yeah. So whether it is a slump or a dramatic downhill slide that we're seeing right now, does Labor need to change their course in the immediate future or can they continue on with the kind of softly, softly approach that they're doing right now? I think that they need to be more explicit about the policies that they have done and that they are going to roll out for cost of living. I think they need to pull that into a very clear message for the electorate. I think 
even though the Liberal Party is structurally incredibly weak, Peter Dutton has been very persistent. You know, everyone sort of was uh, a little incredulous at whether he could kind of, you know, mount a credible stance as an opposition leader. He's he's taken every opportunity. He, he politicises most opportunities, but he really he really takes up the fight. You know, the idea that the coalition could make up, what is it, like 21 seats to get a parliamentary majority is, you know, that's a big, a big, big, big ask. Mm. Um, but I think the government is in a fight now, like in a real fight. And when you're in a real fight, you have to have a really clear message. Next, how fast walkers will inherit the earth. Hey all, I'm Antoine Issa, Newsletters Editor at Guardian Australia. With so much news happening and a lot of misinformation, we're making sure you get the most accurate reporting from a source you can trust. Guardian Australia's Afternoon Update is a quick roundup of the day's top stories delivered for free straight to your inbox. Sign up at guardian.com forward slash newsletter or simply search for Guardian Australia Newsletters. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Now it's time for what we can't get out of our heads. Lenore, what can't you get out of your head? I have been very taken with our reporter Jonathan Barrett's reporting on robo-tax. We thought we were done with robos, but no, there's another one. The tax office has sent hundreds of thousands of these sort of form letters out alerting recipients that they have historical tax debts. The letters didn't have any detail about how those debts were accrued. Sometimes they're decades old, so long past when you're supposed to keep receipts to be able to prove if you do or you don't owe the money. Does this start, is this sounding familiar to anyone? <laughs> Anyhow, yeah. um, so the as a result of his reporting, the tax office is now saying they're not going to actively pursue or demand immediate payment, but they're not dropping the debts either. They're just kind of hanging around and it's really causing people distress. So I think it's a really interesting issue to follow. Mm, feels like we're not just at RoboDebt 2.0, it's 3.0. When, when is there going to be 4.0? It's <laughs> exactly. never ending. Um, Mike? So I'm a keen collector, as I guess most people are, of stories that tell me that things that I like to do are actually good for me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was one a couple of weeks ago about how some ultra-processed foods are not bad for you and even quite good for you, and especially bread and cereals, which I love. Excellent. This week's one was about the pace that you walk at 
and uh, apparently people who walk faster have a significant, according to studies, obviously, I'm not endorsing this, but studies say <laughs> people who walk faster have a significantly lower risk of developing type 2 diabetes, and I'm a notoriously fast walker. Not always to, everyone, to the, not, not to the comfort of those walking yeah. with even, walking even with me, within exactly. a group, yeah. you yeah. are speeding like, ahead. Don't like to stop and amble. So um, next time someone criticizes you, are you just going to say, "Well, I'm going to live longer"? It's for my, it's for the good of all of our health. You're so, like my late yeah. mum, who we used to call <laughs> the road runner. <laughs> Thank you, Lenore. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thanks, Laura. That was Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and Head of Newsroom Mike Tisher. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert and Daniel Simo. The executive producer was Miles Montagnoni. I'm Laura Mephiotes. Thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.